everyone. Welcome to The Science of Beauty, a podcast from Allure. I'm Michelle Lee, the Editor-in-Chief. And I'm Jenny Bailly, Executive Beauty Director. On this podcast, we're going to be diving into the science behind beauty and the products that we are always talking about and using here at Allure. And today on the podcast, we're pivoting. We have had an amazing time talking about skin for the last six episodes, but we are now talking about hair. Shampoo, specifically. Now, of course, we all know that we have a million choices of different shampoos. You walk down the shampoo aisle, and it is absolutely dizzying how many there are. But it wasn't always that way. Exactly. Just over 100 years ago, which isn't that long ago, there were zero shampoos in stores at all. So if you didn't want your hair to be stinky and greasy, you would have to be really innovative and wash it with whatever you could make yourself. (gasps) The horror. And then in 1903, that all changed. In Germany, at least, there was this chemist named Hans Schwarzkopf who invented this violet-scented powder that you put into your hair to clean it. Then the first liquid shampoo came to the U.S. about 30 years later, and you might recognize the name behind that. It was a guy named John Breck, if anyone is old enough to remember the Breck girls. But anyway, Breck shampoo had 14 ingredients, which was kind of mind-blowing at the time because it was, you know, 12 ingredients more than your average DIY concoction. Although, for the record, still about 10 less ingredients than you're going to see in your average shampoo on the shelves today. So for today's episode, we took one for the team, and Michelle and I decided to try out a kind of hair washing from another time. And it's something that that some people do still use today. Um, We took a few ingredients that you can find in your kitchen, apple cider vinegar, and honey. So I did it two nights ago. And Jenny, I'm feeling my hair right now and it feels okay. I think I might've cheated a little bit because I did the apple cider vinegar and honey, diluted it with water, of course, but then I used conditioner after. So I'm not sure if I I cheated, but I didn't mind it. I thought it worked pretty well. Um, It smelled a little funny. I I did say to you after that one word, vinaigrette. Um, But in terms of like it actually working, I feel like my hair felt clean and and pretty smooth after. I really didn't want to do this, so I procrastinated to the last minute. So I just did it this morning. I, I smell like vinaigrette. I can I can still smell the vinegar in my hair. But because, Michelle, last night you'd revealed to me that you cheated with conditioner, so I vowed not to use conditioner and was actually really pleasantly surprised that I could still comb through my hair. Like, it took a little bit of elbow grease, but it wasn't... I have pretty fine hair, but a lot of it, and it can get tangly. But it wasn't. I don't know. If, I don't know if it was the honey. I did use maybe a little more honey than I should have when the mixture kind of dripped into my mouth at one point in the shower, and I was like, "Ooh, that's a lot of honey." But yeah, my hair it feels good. It feels smooth even without conditioner. So it was kind of impressive. Yeah, I will say I did get some of it in my eyes, and oh, it stung. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, but that being said, if you get regular shampoo in your eyes too, that also stings. That's true. That's true. I think for me, the the lack of lather though is a big barrier to get past. I mean, I think part of it is just the psychology of all those suds, you know, that means you're getting clean. But I also, without lather, I find it hard to know, like, was it getting everywhere? And I covered my whole scalp. I just feel like you didn't have that kind of guiding, like sensory experience. 
Yeah, it definitely felt like a nice scalp rinse, though, because I've used um, the DP Hue ACV rinse that has apple cider vinegar, um, and it felt really similar where it's like I felt like it, it was very like clarifying for my scalp, but I did wonder what it was doing with the rest of like the back of my hair. I don't know that this will become my regular routine, but it was not bad. Um, I think it was definitely worth a shot. Now, when the zombie apocalypse comes, we'll know how to wash our hair. Well, I'm happy that I have both of the ingredients already. Well, after the break, we're going to talk to somebody who knows all about hair, how to wash it, condition it, and let it be. All right, we're back and we're here with Nikita Wilson. She's a cosmetic chemist and a regular in the pages of Allure. You're an honorary editor of Allure because we call Nikita on a near daily basis and send her ingredient lists. I willingly accept any title you wish to bestow. <laughs> Our queen. Okay, so Nikita, super basic question. What is shampoo and what is it doing? Okay, well, a shampoo is a really great... Uh, detergent type of a system. So detergents, you know, like your dish, your dish, your washing dishes, you have your dish soap. That's one type of a detergent. Shampoo, same concept, but much more gentle because it's made for hair. What is the difference between detergent and soap? Great question. Are soaps and detergents the same? No, they are not. Even though we use them interchangeably, they definitely are not the same. So soaps, that's more of a mixture of water and fats and oils. Think coconut oil or shea butter, cocoa butter, things like that in water with something that has a really high pH. And that could be sodium hydroxide or um, potassium hydroxide, something like that. And they all heat it together and mix for a while, and those will create a soap. Um, a detergent is actually um, a class of ingredients, like we mentioned. So a soap can be a type of detergent or surfactant, but they are not, we, we can't, we really shouldn't use them the same because the chemistry is different. Detergent's a lot different. Detergent is actually individual ingredients that combine together, and those will give us different foam properties. So if we want a lot of rich foam, we'll use one type of detergent. If we want lacy foam with lots of loose bubbles, then we'll use a diff another type of detergent. So when you think of soap and detergent, think, no, they're not the same. They can do the same thing, there are two ways to achieve the same type of a thing. But rarely do we use soap to wash our hair, unless you're a guy. I mean, what would happen? I mean, I guess I kind of know, because when I first met my husband, he was washing his hair with soap. There uh -huh. was one one bar of soap in his shower, uh -huh. nothing else. He used it for everything. Dry. Okay. I mean, typically would hope that people would follow up with a conditioner to offset it. But soaps, they, they are a little bit more drying on the hair. And also, they would leave more behind. So soaps are... Um, um, what, what we call they like to refat or they like to deposit oils and stuff back to the hair or back to the body because it, we don't want it completely dried out. And that's just the nature of the soap because we usually use some type of fat to make it, right? We'll use a coconut oil or use the glycerin. With short hair, you don't really notice it much because it's short. You're not going to start to see the buildup. Long hair with soap, you'll notice right away that this, my hair has no lift, it has no volume, it has no movement. That's because you're putting a lot of stuff back in. 
Okay, so in shampoo, what makes it lather? And do we always want it to lather? It's funny you should say that. So lather now to consumers think, oh, it's working. The more lather, the richer the lather. Oh my God, this is definitely working. And so those, there's another word for those detergents and we call them surfactants, right? And so what we do is we mix those up to give the benefits because there are so many different types. And each one can, when you combine them, you kind of get different benefits. So if I wanted a lot of rich, dense foam, but I also wanted it to, you know, to stay around a while, then I would probably use some type of sulfate because sulfates give tremendous foam. And then I would put something like a, um, a cocomidopropyl betaine, Long name, I know, I know, but this is a milder type of detergent to balance out the sulfate. And so that will give me, give my foam a little longevity and staying power. But is the foam doing anything or it just feels good and we like it? No, (laughs) no, (laughs) because I don't know if you've noticed. So if your hair is like really oily and then you wash it and you 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 hardly get anything at all, like no foam, and then you wash it until you get the foam, what you're essentially doing is you've already washed your hair. And so you're getting the foam now because your hair is clean. Foam does not do the cleaning. The foam is like an indicator that your hair is clean. So why, when your hair is super oily, do you get less foam? The way the foam is, it's just like, it's like a bubble. Think of, there's little tiny bubbles. And the oil does not allow the the bubbles to stay. They don't allow the bubbles to stick around. So you're not going to have bubbles and oil in the same place. Okay. They just, the chemistry of it just don't allow that to happen. And so the more you wash your hair and the more you're removed, as you're rinsing, you're removing the detergent and the dirt and oil, that's when you're starting to see more bubbles, more foam arise. So it's not necessary for you to see bubbles. And usually by that point, you've cleaned your hair completely. So you've stripped it of all oils and everything until it's squeaky clean, which is not really what we always want. And you mentioned sulfates, the S word. Should we go there on sulfates now? Yeah, let's do it. Sulfates get a bad rap because they are super efficient. They are the absolute best top of the class at cleansing and they cleanse everything. And so because of that, it cleanses the protective oils on the skin, the protective oil in the hair. And if you don't properly balance that in a formula, then it leads to your hair feeling stripped. And with that comes dryness because you've removed the protective layer of the, of the hair strands. And we need that. It's there for a reason. And surfactants and, sorry, sulfates are just so good at it. They're, like, like I said, gold star, top of the class. Um, but they do get a bad rap because um, they can lead to dryness if it's not properly balanced in a formulation and if the hair isn't properly conditioned afterwards. Should we always look for a sulfate-free shampoo? There's so many now that are sulfate-free, or can they be balanced? I think they can be balanced. I really do. I think they can be balanced. I think you can find a really great sulfate formula that is nourishing and conditioning enough where your hair isn't stripped. See, the key is if they're able to put conditioning agents or other ingredients that as the sulfates 
wash away, then those things then attach themselves to the hair and deposit, then you're getting rid of the dirt, but you're keeping the conditioning, which is going to help your hair feel great and you slip and manageable without feeling dried out. The rule of thumb for me is how dirty does your hair feel? You know, some people, their hair generates a lot from the scalp, gets oily really fast, so they have to wash it on a more constant basis, while other hair types can go weeks without washing. So, I mean, I guess it's a matter of balance because you want to be able to get rid of buildup and, you know, have a clean slate without it being so squeaky clean. Like once your hair squeaks, you know you've gone too far. You've over-cleansed it to the point where you've gotten rid of even the good stuff that you want behind. And so with that, maybe you stop at two washes. You don't go for that third wash. You know, it's, it's, it's a balance because sometimes we tend to overuse products. And in overusing products, it's the ingredients that end up getting a bad rap. When in reality, it's not the product, it's how we use it. Wait, are people really doing the repeat part of lather, rinse, repeat? Oh, yeah. Are people doing two washes? People, have, I see people sometimes doing three washes because they want that foam. They want that generous foam and they feel like now my hair is clean. And yeah, it's clean, but you stripped it away. I know colors often say that after your hair is dyed, you need to use a sulfate-free shampoo because the sulfates are really stripping that color out of your hair, lifting up the cuticle of your hair, the cuticle, you know, that protective layer that surrounds each strand. Is that accurate? They clean very well. They clean very well. So what they're doing is they are um, removing the oils and they are lifting up the cuticles. And when the cuticles are lifted, then the color leaches out. I tell everybody to play it safe. Honestly, even though I love it, I tell everyone to, to, you know, do what makes you feel comfortable. If you just spent a lot of money on color or just spent a lot of time doing your own color, do what it takes for you to preserve it. And so, so beyond sulfates, how, I mean, there are a million different shampoos out there. So how many. do people choose so the right one for them and the right one for their, their type of hair? Because there's so many. And like, if you have thin hair, but yet you color treat it, do you go for the color treated? It, it, it's becoming confusing. That's why I see a lot more brands actually trying to condense it. You don't always have to stick with the shampoo and the conditioner that's in the family, you know, because they may not always give you all the help with your total hair issues, right? So if you use the shampoo for thin hair, then maybe you can use a lightweight conditioner for color-treated hair or vice versa. So feel free to mix and match, break up the family and mix and match your shampoo from the conditioner to get the benefits that you need and still um, choose the products that's best for your hair type. If you had, let's say, like frizzy hair, like are there ingredients that, that are being added? Like what are some of the things that people are most mm -hmm. concerned about and what's happening in those formulations? So for a shampoo, if you have frizzy hair, we're likely to put smoothing ingredients in, and those can come in a form of silicones. <clears throat> those can come in a form of proteins. Those can be like a rice protein, a quinoa protein. Um, we've used keratin. So anything that is going to help keep the cuticle closed and keep those... Um, those wayward pieces <laughs> shut tight so that they don't dry out. So we want to lock moisture in so they don't dry out and then just start, you know, getting that whole static cling look. So we really want to coat the cuticles with something that's going to 
not weigh the hair too much down, but weigh the cuticles down so that they don't pop up. Well, I've heard people with curly hair or super dry hair could consider co-washes or conditioning washes instead of shampoo. Can you explain a little bit what those are? So where a more traditional shampoo is about 95%, you know, focused on cleansing and maybe 5% focused on leaving moisture behind, a co-wash flips that. The the ratio is more about maybe 50-50, depending on the type of product, but the focus is much more on conditioning the hair while removing some of the excess buildup. So what you're going to do is you're really going to get much more of a just a light removal of some of the surface stuff, but depositing conditioning agents to your hair so that your hair feels like it's being conditioned. So are there hair types that you think should use a co-wash and just a more traditional shampoo like once a month? Hair types that are severely damaged and that are um, that are fragile and that don't really have the benefit of having um, the sebum from the hair, the hair's natural oil, work its way down the strand. Now, the more curly you get, the more interference you have of that oil trying to make it down the hair strand. So if you have really tight, coily hair, it's not really making it down. You have to add something to your hair in order to get to to get the strands protected with oil. And so because of that, the hair tends to be drier and more fragile. So when you're washing, you don't want to remove all the oils because you need it. So you rely more on conditioning the hair to be able to really seal it in and lock in the moisture in between washes and in between your, and then use, you know, your refreshing products in between. Okay. But let's talk technique. I mean, my shampoo technique is really, I just mm-hmm. massaged into my scalp, kind of lathered into my scalp, and then I rinse it out, just assuming the rinsing process will kind of work the shampoo through the ends of my hair. I have pretty long hair. But should we be kind of, you know, doing it like the commercials where you have the the hair all piled on top of your head and you're working it in? Ooh, that was the worst way to wash your hair. Never pile it on top. You want to work it through One, because you want to make sure that you're breaking up any buildup and any dryness on the the scalp. And so the way you do that is when you put it on, you know, just massage it a little bit and then rinse it and then you're, you're good to go. Are we all neglecting to rinse our hair enough? I think so. And I'm guilty. As I'm guilty. I'm guilty of that. And then I have to go back and re-rinse. We're, we're busy. Yeah. But see, that's also the problem when you have a lot of foam, right? You have to rinse all that foam out. <laughs> but yeah, so what happens is you don't really want to leave that in your hair. Because it is cleaning, the longer contact time that it has, then the more cleaning it's doing. And so when you do eventually rinse it out, then you have the potential to have, you know, drier spots. Just because it's all, like I said, contact time. It had that extra time to sit, which could lend itself to drying. And also use warm water. I feel like at the salon, and they always say, like, do you want the cold rinse? Um, We found, this was a few years ago, but we found a study. It was at, Nikita, you probably know this group, TRI Princeton, Mm -hmm. the research facility in New Jersey. So they had done a test to kind of figure out once and for all, like, should you do the cold rinse? after you wash your hair, and they found that cold water had no shine-enhancing effects, 
and that warm water actually made the hair look glossier. And their theory was that the cold water may not rinse that residue off. Exactly. The hair as well as the warm. So the cold is uncomfortable and <laughs> and it's for nothing. Makes your hair look worse. <laughs> no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you think about it, if you just leave foam on the counter, you can go back and you saw where the foam was because it has a duller appearance. So that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so I mean, even after the, the foam is rinsed away, that counter still looks less shiny. And what is a clarifier? I mean, a clarifying shampoo, I think we've all seen them on the shelves, but does yeah. it just have more detergent? No, it doesn't have more detergent. It just has less other stuff. Okay. Now, it's still a balance because it still doesn't want to leave your hair stripped, even though the ones from back in the day would leave your hair feeling like straw. So they still want to balance it out. But the goal is not to be a moisturizing clarifier to put all that stuff back. It's just to really give your strands a good cleansing without overstripping. So you almost like resetting the strand to be able to take on the next, the next thing that you're going to do to it. So can you train your hair to be less oily? I remember a few years back, there was the the dawn of the no poo movement. So it was this trend toward not washing your hair at all. And proponents of this no poo approach um, would say that we were washing our hair too much. And so we're stripping away all these natural oils. And so then our scalps are like, oh no, we need more oils and are producing more oil. But that if we stopped shampooing, then there'd be kind of a a rough patch of very greasy hair. But if we could work through this rough patch, then ultimately your hair would be less oily because your, your scalp would produce less oil. Is that possible? If you overstrip and overcleanse your skin, you're going to generate more oil because that triggers to the skin like, oh my God, I'm not protected. Let me pump out. Let me pump it out. It's the same thing for your scalp. So yes, if you take the time and not overstrip it, but moisturize it. And like I said, using your conditioner or your your two-in-one shampoo, let it sit for a minute and then rinse it out. Then you are essentially telling your scalp, it doesn't need to produce as much oil. We're good. We're balanced. We're all right. Can you walk us through a little bit how to read the bottle? We talked about sulfates already, um, but what about paraben-free? And also, are there other things that you think that people should either avoid or look for on a bottle? Oh, reading the label. So first, there's a myth that I just want to call out there. That whole four to five ingredient thing, that's not really truly accurate. Um, And just because it's low on a list doesn't mean it's not doing anything. Some ingredients are just more effective at low levels. And so it's perfect to do what it's supposed to do. And secondly, You'll notice that there's typically a blend of detergents slash surfactants. I'm going to go buy them both. There's usually a blend. You can't always judge a shampoo by its surfactants. Um, if you look for a sulfate, definitely look for, you know, a more underneath to, to help balance it out. I don't think even as a chemist, you want a formula that just has a sulfate as the primary only sole surfactant. You may see um, other ingredients like uh, glycols. So those help 
One, they help to bring moisture to your hair, but also they're just they're there to help the formula remain stable. And then you have your quats, your polyquats or your quaternions. Those are your conditioning agents. And they have so many different uses. They can be used to slip for slip, how the hair, you know, how the product glides in the hair as you're putting, as you're applying it. They can be used for detangling. They can be used for moisture after you rinse it out. So quats are good. I know there's some people who are against quats. There aren't that many replacement for quats. So if you don't see a lot of types of, um, you know, quaternium polyquats or cetrimonium chloride, all those types of things on the, the list, I can't guarantee you're going to have a good experience with that shampoo. What's the quat concern? If there was a quat hater here, what would they be saying? Well, the quat hater would say, well, you know, this particular quat may have a residue of something in it that could cause cancer. There are a lot of quats and there are some clean quats. So you can't just lump them all into a category. Well, to that end, should we should we talk about the other S word, silicone? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's chat about silicones. <laughs> How do you feel about about silicones in general and in hair care and in shampoo specifically? Um, so in general, I am for silicones. Um, so there are different types of silicones and different reasons why silicones are not be not liked for lack of a better term. So you have your curly girls who say stay away from anything own silicone, dimethicone, cyclomethicone, any cone, stay away from it. Which is not always the best approach because your silicones, your cyclomethicones and those cyclocones that you see, completely different chemistry from the dimethicones that you see. Completely different functionality. So from a super curly girl, she says stay away from dimethicone because it prevents moisture from getting into your hair and causing your hair to dry out. Well, I would venture to say that if you're using it in a refreshing product when you're trying to infuse moisture in the hair, maybe your dimethicone isn't good. But if you're trying to have a pro- if you want a product and you're trying to increase the shine and you're trying to not refresh the hair, but more so just keep the hair, um, keep moisture from getting in to reduce frizz, then dimethicone may be your friend. From the cyclomethicone standpoint, it's a lot of environmental issues because they say they're not biodegradable and it sits in the water for an unusually long amount of time. If that is the case, and I have seen studies, well, that's not good because we want to protect the environment. I think amodimethicone in a conditioner is my love. It softens hair like no other. You want just silky soft hair that just like ooh just succumbs to your demands and your beautiful and and the toughest roughest strands just like ah uh, when you put in amyl dimethicone I love it okay so cyclic silicones sound like they are probably worth avoiding especially since there are other great options without those potential environmental repercussions And for all you non-chemists listening, when you're reading a label, you can spot a cyclic silicone pretty easily because it will have cyclo in its name, C-Y-C-L-O. So cyclotetrasiloxane, say that a few times fast, or cyclomethicone. 
Okay, but back to shampoo specifically. Do we want silicones in our shampoo? Yeah, but so here's the thing. You can only use a small amount because remember what I said, that oils and and foam don't mix. So if you use too high of a level of a silicone because it has an oily type consistency, you'll never get any foam. Mm-hmm. So it would only be a little bit, and that's just enough to as your hair is being rinsed out to cling a little bit to the strands to help smooth it. So you'll likely find like a dimethicone or something in a smoothing shampoo or a shampoo for damaged Mm -hmm. hair or a shampoo for color-treated hair, especially for color-treated because you want something that's going to be able to cling to the cuticle just to hold it down a little bit to prevent the pigment from seeping out. Okay. Can we talk about dry shampoo? Is shampoo maybe a misnomer here? (laughs) Yes. Shampoo, Shampoo in not the functionality of it, but the end benefits. So the end benefits is looks like your hair was freshly shampooed because you have volume now, you have lift. So it's it's shampoo only in the the end effects, not in how it works because you're clearly depositing things into your hair and you're brushing it out, but you're not brushing out all of it. And you are, you know, you're getting more deposit than you're brushing out, which is not really what a shampoo does. So it's more a spin on what it can do for your hair visually. So if any of the dirt is attached to the oil, then it will too be sucked up because they're, they're little, little tiny, tiny like spears, spheres. Think of a golf ball, right? Think of a little tiny micro golf ball and all those holes in the golf ball can suck up oil. And so that's what they're doing. All those little holes are sucking up the oil. And then as you're brushing it out, it's taking it out with it. Is it taking out a lot of the dirt? No, it's not really taking out a lot of the dirt. But it is getting rid of of a lot of the oil. And if any dirt is attached to it and it doesn't want to let go, then that's being brushed out as well. So there is some removal to it. And I feel like there was a period, too, where not washing your hair was such a badge of honor. It was like, I haven't washed my hair in five days. (laughs) I haven't washed my hair in a week. And it was like, you're looking at someone thinking like, you really should have washed your hair two days ago. But you know, everyone was really going all in on the dry Mm -hmm. shampoo. And then I feel like after a couple of years, it was just, okay, this is gross. Were you know, I don't think a lot of people went back to daily washing, but I think more right. frequent. But washing. now, because all the dry shampoo usage, you you want to give the strands a chance to you know to be able to come out and nourish. You want to nourish the the tissue around the follicles so that they have the best chance to produce the strongest strands of hair they can. And with dry shampoos, it's almost like their your your scalp is not getting the circulation that it needs because you're not really going in and massaging it and, you know, getting it clean. And you don't want your garden full of dirt, you know? You want, you want, there's a certain type of soil you want in your garden to get a good crop. It's the same for your hair. So maybe it's partially a reaction to all that dry shampoo use, but we're hearing a lot more about scalp scrubs recently, the concept of exfoliating your scalp. What is your take on them? Are they really necessary? And if so, how often should someone be using a scalp scrub? That's really depends on on you. I mean, I wouldn't do it every day. I don't care who you are. (laughs) Every day may be too much, possibly once a week, like in skincare, you kind of know how your skin responds to it. Um, Now they're coming out with different types of exfoliants. So it's no longer just the physical exfoliants of salt or sugar. 
But now you're getting to the the chemical exfoliants like glycolic acid, which is really interesting because TRI Princeton also did a great study on how good um, glycolic acid was for the hair. And so you're getting great conditioning benefits from it and you're treating your scalp. Like how awesome is that? So Nikita, you have curly hair. Can you reveal your personal shampoo routine? Ooh, that's a good one. I'm so because I'm in product development, I'm always trying different shampoos. So to nail me down to one is really tough. Um, but if I am, I I do have a favorite, and what I do is I just tend to I always mix a shampoo and a conditioner. I make my own co-wash. <laughs> um, it just it just works out better for me that way. I divide my hair off in sections. So I'll usually have like eight sections. And in each section, I'll end up doing like a quarter size of conditioner and maybe a dime size amount of shampoo. And I'll mix that and then put it in my hair. So most recently, I've actually been using uh, Taraji's line, her um, honey moisture shampoo. Um, that's good, but I, because my hair again tends to be super dry, I always go with a conditioner too. And for that, I tend to go outside of the family and I mix it with like a diva. Um, they're melting to moisture again, just a dollop, just a quarter size. And I mix them and I find that combination works for my hair. And that's diva, diva curl, curl, right? D-E-V-A. Yep. And how often do you do your shampoo, conditioner mix, your homemade co-wash? I would say probably every five to six weeks. And it takes so long. God, it just takes so long to wash. I don't have the energy all the time. I really don't, which honestly, I wear my hair in protective styles most of the time just because I am not one of those girls that like to spend a lot of time in their hair. And a wash day literally is a day. It takes two hours to detangle properly without pulling all of my hair out. And then to do the wash, I have to do the deep condition. And then I, depending on how I'm styling it, I want to make sure that I'm getting to it before it's too dry. And then it's detangling all over again. Like, it's a process. It, it's, you have to mentally prepare. Well, I personally have to mentally prepare myself to wash my hair. I mean, that's a, that's a lot. It, it's a lot. It's a lot. One day we need to do an entire episode just on wash day routines. The product prep, the mental prep, the best soundtracks. It is an event. But for now, Nikita, we have some listener questions for you. Ooh, exciting. Hi, my name is Nicole, and I've always wondered, which is more important, shampoo or conditioner? Ooh, 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 ooh. Okay, okay. That's a good one. That's a good one. I wouldn't say one is more important. I would say they're equally important because if you don't have a good shampoo, you're going to leave a lot of residue behind that your conditioner is just going to pile on top of. So especially if you have finer hair and if you if you don't, you know, have a really good shampoo, you may have to find a conditioner to compensate for that and then your hair may end up being more limp. So I would say if you are shampooing, then they're equally important. If you're a co-wash girl, I still think that you need a good shampoo that's going to be able to rinse out all the buildup because buildup becomes weak points on a strand and those weak points contribute to breakage. You do need a good shampoo, but you need a good conditioner too. So I'm torn. Ah, I'm torn. 
okay, okay. If I had to, if, if somebody was, you know, putting all my cosmetics outside and for a car to run over them, I would probably say a conditioner. <laughs> I would probably force, force myself to say a conditioner. That's what you're going to say on our shampoo episode. You're going with conditioner? <laughs> Nikita. Uh, okay. Okay. All your cosmetics are on the road. Okay. I get I it. I mean, they're important, but yeah, yeah, they're, they're at stake. They're at stake. Hi, my name is Selena. I have a question about shampoo. Why are some shampoos so expensive? Like, why are some more expensive than others? You know, some shampoos have one type of surfactant and some could have five or six. Those five or six are expensive because each one contributes to the cost of the formula. And if you want that luxurious benefit, you want that rich foam, you want it to slip through your hair without tangle, you want it to, um, you know, have all these wonderful benefits, they all cost money. And so for those that have a nice complex blend of surfactants and a lot of conditioning agents, they're naturally going to cost more money. And if it's an experience in, you know, how you're using it, it's also going to be experience in how you're paying for it <laughs> because they want to they <laughs> give you the feeling of luxury and luxury usually doesn't come at a low price point. Hi, my name is Sarah and I have a question about irritating ingredients. Why do some shampoos make me break out on my hairline? It could be the fragrance. It could be um, that you're having a reaction to something in the actual formula. Um, If that happens often, I would say consult your dermatologist because that's not supposed to happen. A lot of times there's there's something called uh, contact dermatitis, and there are a few known triggers for that. And some of them are colorants, so people... They are dermatologists to tell people to avoid products with colorants. Certain preservatives have been linked to it. Then she would look at a lot of those key um, ingredients and probably formulate without them. So it's kind of like a strip down, like here's just what you need to, to wash your hair. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This was fun. Take care, everybody. Okay, one last thing before we go, our personal shampoo recommendations. Jenny, is yours going to be apple cider vinegar and honey? I don't know. I I need to give it a little more time before it makes it onto the short list. Um, I'm honestly, again, I love that lather. I use, I looked in my shower this morning as I was pouring a pitcher of apple cider vinegar over my head. Um, I looked longingly at my Pantene. (laughs) I do. I like their nutrient blends. Kind of any Pantene shampoo I enjoy. Pantene lathers really well. It's a really nice lather. There's another, there's a brand called um, Hark Linigan that's a a very small brand that actually focuses on hair loss treatments, but also has their own hair care line. And they have sent me some shampoos in the past and they have one, it's called Restorative, um, that I really like. It It doesn't feel clarifying and stripping, but it does make my hair feel very clean. I don't, knock on wood, don't have any hair loss issues, but it's a really nice, clean formula. So because I'm not washing my hair as often, on days when I don't wash, I definitely am doing dry shampoo. The one that I've been loving lately has been by Verb. And so they have one for brunettes. And so I just, I like the smell of it. And also when I use other dry shampoos that are not tinted, it definitely leaves like that white cast in my hair. So the Verb one is like perfect for me. All right, so that's it for this episode of Science of Beauty. We'll see you next week when we'll be talking all about something I think we're all feeling right now, stress. What it can do to your body, especially your hair and skin, 
and how to calm it down. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. It helps new listeners find the show. You can find additional information and episode references in the show notes. Follow Allure on Instagram at Allure, and I'm at Hey Michelle Lee, and Jenny is at J by E, B A I L L Y. On our audio team, our lead producer is Carla Green, executive producer is Shara Morris, associate producer is Kate Mishkin, and sound engineer is Scott Somerville. On the Allure team, the editorial leads are Soyini Driscoll and Diana Mazone. Lead researcher is Julie Risavudo, and project manager is Monica Perry. The theme music is by Asha Ivanovich. Special thanks to Julie Shen and Neon Hum.